Welcome to the Rip Hard Podcast by guitarists for guitarists. And now your hosts, John Brown and A.L. Levy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We've been running conversations with some of the best guitar players in the game for over a year now. Not only has this been amazing for myself and A.L. to learn from, but it's been amazing for us to share this vast knowledge with all of you. If you enjoy what we're doing, then please share us with your friends, and we especially love iTunes reviews. Remember that you can tag us if you want to share the podcast on your Instagram. You can find me at Brown Monuments. That's B-R-O-W-N-E-M-O-N-U-M-E-N-T-S. And you can find Al at Al Levy URM Audio. That's E-Y-A-L-L-E-V-I-U-R-M-A-U-D-I-O. Always remember that we will never charge you for this podcast. So please keep listening and enjoying. All we ask in return is a share, post, and a tag. Anyway, let's get on to this week's guest. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Our guest today is Jesse Cash, who is a guitar player, songwriter, and vocalist known widely for his work with the band Era and the other band, Ghost Atlas. Here goes. Jesse Cash, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. Hello. Hello. So you got off tour last night. Yeah. Well, we're still on tour. We just happened to play in Anaheim and I live in the Valley in LA. So we just came back to my house. Yeah. It's been a crazy couple of days. <laughs> We've uh, had some band <laughs> issues and had to borrow a band's van. That's kind of cruel of them to schedule this for you right in the middle of a tour. Oh, I did this to myself. <laughs> okay. So you're, you're the masochist. Yeah. I, I was like looking at my yeah. schedule and I was just like, well, I'd like to get it done sooner than later. And I should be able Which to squeeze it in that day. Yeah. So, so yeah, as soon as we finish this, we're driving to Anaheim for the, for the show. But yeah, I, I did this to myself. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you got yourself to blame. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> how's the tour going? It's mostly been great, except like I said, we've had some issues. So we actually had to cancel two shows because we got stranded in Utah. Ugh. Van issues on a weekend. So it's kind of tough to find auto repair. And Do you remember when that happened to us on the tour we did with you as well? <laughs> yeah. So, so we, yeah, in, in rural Utah, there's not really a lot of people that are qualified or down to uh, fix a Mercedes diesel sprinter on a Sunday. <laughs> so we missed some shows and we're still trying to get it back together. It's interesting to hear people talking about this again these problems like the, your standard tour issue like the van breaking in the middle of nowhere yeah on a weekend or on a holiday like it's been a while since you've heard those problems from people like it's kind of a good problem to have in a way <laughs> i think after the way the last few years have been as far as problems go it's a pretty exciting one yes yeah that's what i'm saying it's like if you're having this problem that means you're on tour Oh yeah, we are we're on tour, baby. Stranded in Utah, you better believe it. <laughs> and in a way, it actually turns the tour into a holiday then because you can't go anywhere and it's just like, well, there's a pool, I'm going to use it. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we did get spoiled. So uh, our friend Cove, he plays in Dead American, he used to sing in Seosan. He lived like two and a half hours west of where we broke down. So we just got towed to him and uh, two miles from a, a Mercedes... Uh, plant or whatever repair place. So while our stuff's been getting repaired, we've just been like hanging out at his spot. He's just going to 
drive us our sprinter. Um, whenever it's done, he's going to drive six hours and swap vehicles because we're currently borrowing his van's van. So it's wild. Yeah. I guess that's a good way to make the best of the situation. I feel like breakdowns on tour like that can be either the most stressful, just mood killing, morale killing, just vibe killing, crushing events, or they can be a shitload of fun. On a breath of fresh air. Yeah, seriously. I'm like super pleased to report that everyone is really good about staying calm and just like getting straight to solving the problem. Like we don't really get overwhelmed by this kind of thing. And I think that's just a, cl- a clear indication that we've been doing it too long. <laughs> um, <laughs> just like 10 years of just like eating shit and breaking down in deserts and stuff. And it's just like, yeah, this is like easy now. It's like easy to deal with this. So yeah, we made the best of it. I actually think that that's one of the things that determines if someone is going to be able to hang with touring, like even past the first month is how good are they about not totally losing their shit when the unexpected happens? Because I feel like touring is like a constant state of improvisation, (laughs) you know, improvising problem solving, like Every day there's something different. But when you've done it long enough, you experience similar types of problems. But there's always going to be something on every tour that you've never had to deal with before. Yeah, it probably took took a long time for me because uh, I, I, I'm i basically a recovering control freak. <laughs> and I just realized how miserable that made me. So I've like the, the whole process of being in a band has been me like learning how to uh, kind of lean into things and not get stressed out and uh, overanalyze stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I've fortunately acknowledged that problem early on and it's just been a constant learning experience for the last 10 years. How did you figure that out? I'm just wondering because, uh, you know, there are a lot of control freaks in music, but I actually think that it's a very negative trait. It's a super common trait, but lots of the successful musicians and producers and just people I know who are it's kind of like a, a recovering alcoholic, you know, they're like always an alcoholic, even if they're not drinking. So I know lots of people that are like recovered control freaks. And because like actually being an active control freak is very, very destructive. And I've noticed that that's what holds a lot of producers and bands and musicians back in the early years, like is what prevents them from like finding a lineup or from putting music out or from keeping people working with them, like all kinds of just problems happen as a result of that type of behavior. So I'm just curious how you realized it about yourself and uh, how you chilled the fuck out. I mean, you kind of just nailed it. And as far as it goes, like, I don't think I'm the worst. I'm really hard on myself. So I will definitely talk about it as if it's worse than it is. At the same time, like, yeah, I mean, you kind of nailed it. I just kind of looked around. Fortunately, I also feel like I'm pretty self-aware. So I was like, just kind of analyzing the way I was acting and the way the people around me that I, that I cared about or like worked with were perceiving me and it bothered me. It bothered me that I was that guy, like the neurotic (laughs) control freak guy. (laughs) And I I just really didn't want to be that guy. It's funny. I never really got that feeling from you when we toured together eight years ago. Nice. (laughs) He was already in recovery though. Yeah, probably. Yeah. (laughs) But I think there's a really fine line as well between control freak and someone that genuinely cares about what they do. And I don't know where that line is either. 
because you obviously need to have that drive in order to accomplish things. It's when that drive starts pushing people away. You want to have enough of that almost controlling personality where people want to get in with you, but not enough where it pushes people away. I think it's worse than just pushing people away, though. That is a huge problem. It doesn't just push people away, but it... Sours. <laughs> it sabotages shit because oftentimes the people you work with, like you work with them because they're awesome at something. And by control freaking them and micromanaging them, they're going to mentally check out. And so they're not going to give you their full dedication. They're not going to give you all of themselves or the project all of themselves, which is really what you need for something like a company or a band or whatever, something where everyone just got to be all in. Like if someone is like control freaking, it not only drives people away, but it also, it limits how good things can get. Yeah. These are the things that we kind of all learned together. We actually just put out a video just a few weeks ago from like a little studio. It was basically like a studio therapy session we had when we were in, this, when we were tracking our deluxe stuff last year. And it's like a full conversation we put up and like it's me and JT, our vocalist and Connor, our bass player, having this conversation, literally like mirroring everything that you just said, where we, we all, it's, it's kind of me and JT having therapy and me telling him like that I was kind of just doing that, like sort of micromanaging, like wanting the parts to be like fair, like, like I would say like, uh, don't do this tone of scream, do this tone of scream, which you could argue is just producing. But um, you, you kind of have to like understand each other's personalities in the way that what, like if someone was doing that to me, I would just be like, OK, cool, I'll do it that way. Like I'm more receptive to sort of changing those things. Um, but J JT is like he, he doesn't react well to being like told. How do I put this? Like, <laughs> it, 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 it's not a, it's not a critique. That's why I'm trying to like think about what I'm saying because I don't want it to come off that way. You, like different people respond to input different ways. Yeah, this is this is a good way to put it. Like, he's a big softy. <laughs> I am like super like direct. I'm just like, no, that wasn't a good take. That's a good take. No, that wasn't good. It, but but with him, it's like you got to kind of like walk it in a little bit because you're not gonna get the best out of him by being like I don't know too hard on him or whatever. But that's kind of something that we've sort of figured out just like how our different personalities, like how to work best with one another to get the most out of each other. That's actually the hardest part about being in a band, I think. Obviously, everyone's very passionate about their individual choice of, you know, what they're going to be doing for a particular song. And I think that that needs to be addressed really early on or constantly being addressed throughout a band's career because one person can say that's fucking shit do it again and they won't have any negative impact to them they'll be like yeah you're right whereas if you say that to someone else they might even just walk out of the room and quit the band seen it happen oh yeah and <laughs> and yeah i think the the method in how you approach it is really important as a producer one thing that's really, really important, and we've talked about this on the URM podcast a lot, lots of people have mentioned it, is you need to know how to read the room and know who you're working with because different artists, musicians are going to, just people are going to respond to things differently. And, uh, you know, some people want a coach, some people want a friend, some people want a therapist, some people want a parent. Like the way that the way that you get the best performance out of them is different. Like not everyone is going to react well to just being straight up like that sucked. Do it again. Some people want that. They prefer that. They don't need to be coached. And actually they prefer to not be coached. But 
some people, they're very emotional about the way that they approach music and it's very linked and you can't, you can't, you can't not take that seriously because if you don't take that seriously, you're going to cause problems. Basically, <laughs> We had a conversation before doing our last record, the self-titled, we kind of talked out the way the process was for the record before it, which was neon, which was very stressful. Everyone was like dealing with personal stuff, which was unfortunately like seeping into the process of recording the record. It was kind of shaping the way our attitudes were in the studio. And it just created a lot of like these disagreements that we're talking about. And it was, I think it was bringing out the word, like if I do have that, that thing inside of me, that control freak somewhere inside, like it was bringing out that. And then because JT was dealing with something as well, it was kind of bringing out his more emotional side. So he was more emotionally sensitive. And then I was more like emotionally reactive, but for the self title, we just had a conversation beforehand. I told him, I'm just going to like fuck off. <laughs> like when he's tracking, like I've always been in the room when our, vocalist has been tracking. Uh, we've had a couple over the years, but like, I'm always like in the room, like kind of like I say micromanaging, but like I'm, I'm producing for the most part, like, cause, mm-hmm. cause ultimately the most important thing is I always have the best intentions. I know JT knows that even if we like don't agree on things, like we're both aware of that at least. Cause we talk about it. Like I'm just trying to get the best out of the song. It's not like an ego thing. It's just like, I just care about the song. Yeah. I understand. So this time around for doing uh for the self-titled, I just like, I would, if I was in the room while he was tracking with Grant, I could feel it welling up inside me to where like I would want to like step in and be like, whenever I would feel it (laughs) happening, whenever I would feel myself reacting and like I was going to be like too direct and stuff and like kind of fuck up the vibe, I would just walk out of the room (laughs) and uh, it worked really well. And then we like just got way better stuff out of the songs because I just like, I could just feel that part of me kind of welling up and I just, just ejected myself because I just, I just knew that whatever the next thing was that was coming out, coming out of my mouth was not going to get us the best result. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's taken, it's taken like my whole life to be able to do that and I'm still working on it, but it's getting easier every day. I, I, uh, I understand completely what you're going through because I definitely have those tendencies myself and the same for our new record, which comes out obviously in a few days. I just didn't say anything this time. I wanted to see how it turned out because again, I would micromanage every single fucking note. And I believe that Sometimes the intentions there are for the best because you care so much about the song. But taking a step back can sometimes someone else's set of ears bring in an element that maybe you hadn't thought of. So that's always a positive of it. Of it. But the fact that you walked out of the room is actually amazing. It takes a lot to do that. Yeah. And, and it's not like I was, you know, like storming out. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> Slam the door on the way. Yeah. I, I was just like, uh, like, I'd be like, it's definitely better this way. I mean, the proof is just like in the the product. I mean, I don't know how much you guys listened to like our last record, but like if you compare it to the one before it, ne- like Neon versus Self-Titled, I mean, across the board, like if you're a songwriter or a producer or engineer, like you can, you can hear a record and kind of get an idea of like what the vibe might've been like in the studio, especially mm-hmm, when totally. you compare those two, it's just like the recording quality, like, like, and the fact that nothing was rushed and, um, just the amount of layers, just like, it's just so, there's just so much more to the self-title versus the record before it. And it's like, it's because of these things. It's because of people within the band acknowledging their shortcomings and the way it like, you know, doesn't always get the best out of the music and just like dialing some shit in, you know? 
Yeah. It should translate it. Like I, like I, I can hear it. I'm so proud of the self-titled and there's some stuff before it that I, you know, wish was a little bit better. And, you know, you kind of like look back at those releases and you're like, ah, you see so clearly what you did wrong. <laughs> Following interviews with like bands and, you know, over the years, over many, many years or producers, something they always say is just doing what's best for the song doing what's best for the song got to do what's best for the song and it's like this it's like this cliche phrase almost like your band is a business where like everybody says it but very few people know what the fuck that actually means or entails they just say it it's just like your band's a business got to treat it like a business like you don't know what that means but got to treat it like a business got to do what's <laughs> best for the song don't know what that means but got to do what's best for the song but what i feel like a lot of what it means is figuring this stuff out to where you get out of each other's way or you get out of the way of the song being as good as it possibly can be it's not there's like the surface level stuff like yeah, that part sucks. Let's remove that part. We'll do what's best for the song. Doesn't need to be a guitar solo there. Get your ego out of the way. We'll do what's best for the song. But there's like a deeper level, I think, which is the interpersonal side of things. And uh, people like the micromanagement types or the types who uh, are afraid to speak up to like coming to some sort of uh, agreement over lots of conversations and lots of thought on what the best way to work is and then actually doing it, not just like talking about doing it, but, you know, actually doing the difficult, the difficult work, like what you were talking about, like when you get that feeling welling up inside of you and actually leaving the room, that's a lot easier said than done. Cause I think when people have that feeling, I'm sure that there's a voice that's like, yeah, but this time it's different. Yeah. <laughs> I should be leaving, but this is different. This is like this time. This is the exception. I still have that voice. Of course you do. And then I have to like respond to that voice. So, so by the end of it, it's like four different voices responding going, it's not different. It's the same. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly it. It's, it's the, it's the same thing that you've been doing since childhood. And it's the same thing you're going to have to be monitoring for the rest of your life, buddy. That's the voice in my head. <laughs> Like, no, but this is different, dude. This is <laughs> but but what you what you were describing, like like when people are like you know whatever is best for the song, when that gets misinterpreted, I do think it kind of just becomes a justification for them being like rigid with their ideas. Yep. So so we have a different mantra in our band, and maybe you can pick this one apart. But uh, progress over pride is usually what we take into the studio. I, I kind of nice. stole that from Brian Hood when we tracked with him. Progress over pride. I like that a lot. Yeah, that, that's kind of what we're trying to keep. I mean, I, I know all, you know, little mantras. Who needs them, right? A little cheesy, but like it, sometimes it works. Everyone needs them. <laughs> it sounds like it needs to be a quote well, you know, in a frame to me. That's what that sounds like. That's what I'm afraid of. It's, it's like just these contrived little little lines. There's going to be a picture of like a waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> Progress over pride. <laughs> well, I, th I feel like that's a take on progress, not perfect. Yeah. But progress over pride makes a lot of sense. It's tough, man. Oh, God, it's hard. Because like we were saying, like if you have that voice that's like, this time it's different, you know, then you're going to misinterpret what progress is. <laughs> <laughs> is it ever different, though? See, that's the thing. Like, are there exceptions or do you have a system by which, like, you can't just throw your input away i'm sure that like there are things where your input is needed in order to make the song better like i'm sure that it can't be that 
his vocals are 100% it every time. And like, you shouldn't be giving any input. Right. So the danger I feel like is over censoring yourself to where you're then, then you have the other problem of like not putting the input in. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, that actually isn't, hasn't been an issue. And I think because, because I'm looking for, for different things, like when I'm in the room now, while, while JT is tracking, for example, like I'm, uh, I'm not looking for like the style of scream he's doing for a part as much as I'm like looking at like his mood, like his like emotional level in the studio. Cause like, you know, if he's in the booth and he's having a bad day, he's probably going to get bad takes. Same for me. Like I have to like, get in the mindset and I can tell pretty quickly like if I'm if I'm not there like I'll, I'll hear a couple takes back and I'll be like I don't feel confident right now I don't feel like rested and I hear it in the take so, so I'm kind of looking more for that because because uh, yeah because if, if, he, if he's in there and he's like feeling good and he's feeling confident he's gonna get what he needs he just, yeah. he just trust. is <laughs> you have that trust the, there was there was one session that we had just a, a couple months ago and um we ran out of studio times so we had to like book like an extra an extra day for him to go in and make up some stuff and I wasn't able to be there so they just sent us the songs you know it was like a, it was a crazy day I think they worked like you know as well as like scrounging to finish up everything last minute kind of days so that he was just like screaming for hours like probably overexerting his voice and between the first song and the second song I could just tell like this song was the beginning of the day confident lots of stamina this one things kind of started to run out of steam and you're kind of getting over it. Does that sound about right? And then they were like, yeah, that's kind of what happened. It's like, yeah, you can hear it in the takes, <laughs> you know, like, so, so I'm kind of more like, like, like looking for that just to make sure that, which, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for like, you know, what the person in the room tracking is like emotional level is like, you have to bring a level of balance to it. So th that that's, so if I'm not there and then I'm also not having a good day, I'm especially not going to hang around to produce or whatever. That makes perfect, perfect sense, actually. Man, I really think that communication between band members is like the X factor. I mean, obviously the music's got to be cool and all that stuff. But once you have like passed those challenges of like, this is a band that has cool music, cool players, or can easily replace people that need to be replaced, have like commitment, backing, have like fans, like all those things, right? How the band members communicate at the end of the day, that ends up being the destroyer or creator of everything. Yeah. If the bands can't figure out how to do this stuff that you're talking about, they're done. Yeah, for sure. Everyone we have on here, man, everyone who is like in a band that has been, I'd say veteran status at this point, not even legacy. I just mean been like doing this at a pretty high level for more than five years. Every single person we've had on says the same thing about this. Like they all figure this shit out. This is just what you have to do. You're married to these people. And that needs to work like that. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's like, it's kind of more fun this way. Like, like I know, like I keep saying like it's hard and it's going to be something that has to be maintained and monitored forever. That isn't to say it's a chore. No. Like in those early days when I was more micromanaged, I keep saying micromanaging. Maybe I need to stop saying that. Just when I was just neurotic, we grew up in Alabama, you know, I'd never seen a big city. And when we started touring, like if, especially freaked me out. Like it's what I wanted to do and I was excited, but I'd be the guy who'd be in traffic like 
freaking out because I was like scared of driving in New York City and stuff. In my room, like I always had all my stuff super organized. I know where everything is at all times. I'm I'm like to this day, like very particular about that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I've never been diagnosed with OCD. So I don't, I'm not going to like say that's what I have and be that guy, but like a little bit of a neat freak, maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. 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 So, so, so first couple of years of touring, like when I'm like, Hey, where are the keys? Like, did someone lose the keys? Like, like, did we lose the van keys? And they're like, dude, the van keys are on your fucking carabiner in your pocket. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I would start like freaking out first, and someone would be like, dude, you have the van keys. Like, that kind of stuff happened all the time. So, like, that's sort of what was translating into the worst in me is like, you know, I, I, I get in that mode and then I'm just like super in your face, like, what's going on, dude? Like, like who, who, who's going to fix this? And it's like, uh, yeah, level 10. I mean, I think that anyone on tour, even if you're not a clean freak, when you're in a confined space that gets more and more filthy day by day, I think everyone reacts in that way because no one likes to be in their own filth or, you know, not knowing where something that's important is, like a set of van keys when there's only one set of van keys, or maybe it's the dongle to your entire live show that's gone missing <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, I agree but I do think that touring will if you have hangups about like going to the bathroom in front of people or like you need everything to be order like super orderly or you're going to lose your mind like things like that or like everything has to be on the same schedule every single day or you lose your mind uh, touring will it'll break you of that. It might take a year or two, but it'll break you of that to a degree. Like, yeah. hang ups, they have to go away. You have to learn. You have to learn to chill the fuck out about that stuff or you won't last. It'll, it'll make you insane. Like right now, like what we're dealing with, like with our vehicle, like I said earlier, like we just kind of have poise in these stressful situations and we just start mm -hmm. solving the problem. This would not have happened that first year. This first year, the situation we're dealing with now would like, have me just like in such a bad mood, like just so <laughs> shut off. And just to point this out real quick, I'm finally at the point in this call to where I've uh, moved on from freaking out about not being able to get my mic and headphones working. Now I feel comfortable finally. Oh, we, we moved on from that in the first 15 seconds. Yeah, I know. I know. I, it just bummed me out. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to look like a freaking noob. And I do. <laughs> Let me tell you something. So I'm like, something at over 500 episodes of podcasts. Now, if you factor URM in and then stuff I've done on the side and, and without fail, man, the people who have had the worst technical issues, and this isn't shit. Like when you had, it happen, <laughs> like I have had some people who are like multi-platinum genius level, legendary producers who like should know how to plug things in sit there for 90 minutes with me not understanding how to plug in headphones or get a mic working and stuff like or I had like this Grammy winning mastering engineer uh, at the end of it um, you know after he did confirm he was recording and then so we finished the episode and I'm like cool so send me your audio when we're done he's like was I supposed to be recording <laughs> yeah what <laughs> we had like this is nothing man the, like every some technical issues happen it's no big yeah. deal 
happens to me as well. Yeah, and probably yeah. AL too. Okay, it's good to hear. It's it's a, yeah, it's just it's just Zoom. I don't like I, I'm I'm looking at it. It's like Scarlet USB. It's like it's selected. What's going? On? It doesn't matter. Sorry, man. I had this issue on Nail the Mix the other day. The first time it's ever happened to me, where like I couldn't get my camera feed in. Like that's never happened. Like I couldn't get, like my camera wasn't just wasn't happening. Like and it took us like a good. 25 minutes to figure it out and we figured out what it was um what it was was i have a new dock that i'm using for the ethernet and i was running the new camera off of that dock and i didn't know that that was going to overload the dock so the camera kept freezing and so we were just troubleshooting and like resetting rebooting like what the fuck is going on like it will work and then it won't work and then it works and it won't work and we're in the middle of a live stream and it's like this has never happened what the fuck why <laughs> and then it was just like you know what why don't i try my backup dock for the ethernet and the other dock for the camera and the other dock for my monitor and then the other dock for my audio <laughs> and see what happens and then boom it all worked but uh just saying shit happens it's not a big deal i appreciate that and for what it's worth i know it's not a big deal it's just like like i said i have those little neurotic things and i was just like inside i was like oh my god i can't even Dying. focus on being myself because <laughs> i'm just like so <laughs> bummed out about the last 15 minutes I've wasted. It's really amazing, isn't it? Because this happens in live situations when you play one wrong note out of 25,000. And yeah. it's just ruined the entire one hour of show because you played one bomb note. <laughs> I'm proud to report that I've totally conquered that. <laughs> like, like uh, <laughs> I thought you were about to say I'm proud to report that I've never messed up on stage. Never, not once. Never. No, no, because that was like if I messed up in the early days, like, yeah, my day was ruined. I was like such a little baby about it. But uh, like last night I hit like more wrong notes than I have in a long time because it was just a dark stage and I was going extra hard. But like, I don't give a shit anymore because <laughs> I'm just like, it's just like, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't care. When I go see a band and I hear them mess up now, I get excited. And yeah. it's because so much is like uh, backtracked lately. <laughs> so like, so when I'm watching a band that like, sounds really sick and it, it sounds like they're nailing everything. And then I hear a little bad note. I'm just like, Oh, thank you. Like, thank you for like just going out there and, uh, just being like willing to, to fuck up in front of people because a lot of people these days are not willing to go on stage and and you hear their fuck ups, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember Opeth released a live DVD in like 2004 or five or six, some around that time. And there's this, song i don't remember which one but he hits an octave slide it's like a crucial moment and he lands a half step off it's <laughs> ugly and they left it they let i mean how i'm telling you about it because they left it it's in the dvd and i thought that was so fucking cool that they did that because you know bands fix that shit they could have just picked a different camera angle and punched it in and no one would know the difference but they kept the camera on him hitting the wrong <laughs> note and making a face I bet. like laughing <laughs> laughing it off which I just thought was I just thought it was so ballsy yeah. like so awesome yeah, yeah I mean we're definitely in a in an era where everything has to be perfect. So I'm in agreement when you hear someone play a wrong note, even on record, 
I like it. When something's slightly off place, but it makes you remember it because it's like, oh, that was actually kind of cool that they left that in there because it's like that person fucked up, but it sounds cool that fuck up as well. Um, like yeah. the Opeth moment, like it semitone out, but I bet live it sounded evil as fuck. And it sounded great. Uh, it sounded like a mistake. <laughs> it sounded like shit, but uh, but that's okay. I'm not actually. Like, there's there's a playthrough um, that the drummer from Leprous did. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, a few years ago, and he's amazing. But in this playthrough, he drops the stick at some point and just kept going. He just just kept going, and they left it in. And some people are like made fun of it, but most people were like, "That's fucking cool." Because now we know that this dude is the real deal. Right there, that's your proof that he is every bit as awesome as you think he is because now you know that what you're hearing is is him, mistakes and all. Yeah, when, you, when you're nailing it, it, it means more to people. It does for me as like an audience, like someone in the audience when I'm watching a band. The not caring though, or the getting over it, is it part like telling yourself that and then part like, doing it enough to where you realize it's not a big deal. Like you just were able to calm down about it. In 2018, for whatever reason, I started like uh, moving a lot more on stage. Before that, we do the typical, just here we go. We're doing this. <laughs> Rock back and forth. Yeah. But like, to be honest, like I went through like a really big breakup, like coming out of a long relationship. And the first tour that I went on after that, something like clicked inside me. I, I think I was just like, well, this is the best thing I have going for me in my life now is, is, is this because I don't have the relationship anymore. And something about that like unlocked some freaking superpower. And then like ev ever since that tour, I go like super crazy on stage. Like I don't, I don't know. And the thing is like if I'm going to go crazy playing music as technical as ours, I'm going to fuck up from time to time. Yeah. So it's just kind of like an agreement I have with myself where it's like, okay, do you want to have more fun on stage and like not play as clean? And I was like, yes, I do. I would, I would rather just like have fun and like throw my body around. I do it every given opportunity. Like there are definitely moments in the set where I cannot do that and I have to be super hyper-focused. But if it's like a little groovy one string section or like a breakdown or something, it's like I just, I'm going to do some back bends and some spins and hold my guitar in the air. And like <laughs> occasionally I'm going to hit bad, bad stuff. There's some bad sounds sometimes. And I go, ooh. And then I move on <laughs> like, and that's how that goes. But, but as far as like, um, like on records and stuff as well, like, like John, I, I agree. Like, um, it's funny too, because era is super polished and clean, like recording style and everything is kind of perfect. But then like, ironically, like I, I listen for that, those kind of mess ups and recordings as well. And in my other band, it's like, it's so interesting because it's like a completely opposite approach. Era is very clean and perfect. And then Ghost Atlas, my rock band, is totally the opposite. I wrote a guitar solo for a song, and I purposely wrote a bad note in it. So, so it it, it wasn't a recording <laughs> error. So maybe it's a little bit manipulative, but like, but I I was like, I'm going to write this solo to sound like a genuine fuck up. So I hit a wrong note, and then I stopped playing. <laughs> <laughs> That's ballsy. <laughs> If you want to find it, it's a song called Rabid Dog. Where in the song is it? It's the bridge. So probably around 2, 2.15 or something. Okay. First of all, this sounds nothing like era. Like right around, it's like right around 2.36. Okay. So, so I'll tell you what, what we did. It sounded cool. <laughs> Thanks. I like it too. So I, I'm playing this little run. It's like, 
like so like I hit a bad note and then it's like I imagine what I would do live, which would probably be to like I could do like a slide to kind of distract and I try to find my place and then I fail to find my place and I think I hit a second bad note. And then and then in between that we just like got my guitar cord and we just like shook it and we like step on it to so kind of like pull on the input. So we're just trying to make it just sound like everything's going wrong. <laughs> like, and then, uh, we just try to make it sound as off, like, like an authentic fuck up and we just like left it in. So, so it, it, it actually wasn't some like magic studio moment. It was intentional, but, but yeah, I, I love that shit, dude. If you can make a, a bad note sound cool, <laughs> that's the best. <laughs> <laughs> that is really cool. They do that all the time in jazz. <laughs> they say that it's not a bad note, but I've heard many a bad note in jazz. <laughs> well, jazz is a different story. <laughs> say what you're going to say. I have a, an example of a time that we did that that I'll show you something similar. I uh, went to a jazz club once, like three years ago with a friend, and um, I'd never seen jazz live before. I, like, I think I was just mouth agape, just eyes wide. Just like, how the fuck are they doing this? And it, it was sick. It sounded good. Like, I, I'm not going to say I would like listen to jazz in the car because I wouldn't. But but like what it was was so impressive. And I was like, like, I didn't even feel like a good, like watching the guitar player on stage. Like I didn't feel like I was the same thing. Like I was like, he's doing, it's like he's playing a different instrument than me. Yeah. Like how are they doing this? And it sounds correct. It, it like blew my fucking mind. I don't understand it at all. It's really interesting. We had a we had a guest recording uh, this week at my studio, which is going to be uh, next month's guest instructor on riff art, and he's in the fusion genre, and it's very similar to a lot of jazz in the fact that it's fairly freeform, a lot of chromaticism, but it's about landing on the right note for certain chord tones so say you're like in a major if you're playing a major seven then if you're going to do a semitone away from any of those notes within the chord it's going to sound wrong but certain notes against that major seven chord are going to have different colors and it's basically just a complete understanding of the fretboard and as long as you rest on or start with those certain notes against that chord then anything else can kind of go it's really interesting because i'd never really thought about it that way but when this guest was uh, explaining it to me it made a lot of sense that it's not completely random it's just an intense knowledge of what's going on on the fretboard which obviously takes yeah. years to learn so i have two things to add well so first of all the i pasted the link but it's a track called architectural necrosis and it's from the guitar album I did, Avalanche of Worms. It's at three minutes and 53 seconds. And it's uh, at the end of a solo, we wanted it to sound like it was like breaking. So we <laughs> kind of fucked with a broken cable and then dis unplugged and plugged it back in, unplugged and unplugged it back in and then like touched it to the pickups and touched it to the strings and just like fucked with it. It kind of ended up sounding like it was breaking yeah isn't that the most fun thing it's like the most fun part of the studio that shit is a lot of fun and yeah with the jazz thing fuck jazz <laughs> <laughs> being a being a guy who doesn't know any like kind of theory or anything like like hearing hearing it explained like you explaining it john like it that makes sense because when i was witnessing i didn't have even that information so for me it was just 
a band like Meshuggah, I guess, is one of those bands too, where it's like, I know they have some kind of system worked out with these time signatures <laughs> to where they know what's going on very effortlessly. But like, whatever that code is, maybe you've cracked it. I haven't taken the time to try and crack how it is that they write what they write. But <laughs> it's... Well, no. You know, I think, I think with the jazz thing, really, they're just looking for tension and resolution. Yeah. And they're finding tension like within the chord changes and then they go crazy with the tension thing by playing quote unquote wrong notes or notes that are outside of the chord or outside of the scale intentionally so that they can then resolve them. But the way, I guess the level at which they're doing it at is super sophisticated and in real time, but really it just comes down to tension and resolution. Um, but to me, it just sounds ugly. <laughs> but that is what they're doing. Like, it, I just, I just think it sounds ugly. It sounds, it, it sounds ugly to me too. But like, um, th that's why I never cared or appreciated it until I watched it. Like, like hearing it is ugly, but like seeing it, I, I, I can't help but respect it because I can't do it. And, and and they're they're playing an instrument that I play, and I couldn't mimic what they did if I tried, it, and that impresses me. It, it's quite funny that because there's a lot of music. I mean, a band you just mentioned, Meshuggah, has very similar parallels to a lot of jazz, just expressed differently with, you know, the low-tuned, disgusting, filthy things that they call eight-string guitars and some seven strings on the new album, which is sick, sick new album. Like, for example, when I listen to their main influence, Alan Holdsworth, on record, I really don't get it. But at the same time, I can hear where it came from at the same time, which obviously, again, as you said, I, I wouldn't listen to jazz in the car, but seeing it live... And just knowing that these musicians can do something that I can't comprehend, it, it makes me respect it to a really high level. And um, But there's also one thing to take from this, just because maybe we don't understand that particular act in jazz doesn't mean that there's something that, it, there could be something there that we really, really do fall in love with in that genre as well. I was going to say that just because I think it's impressive and don't understand it necessarily. doesn't mean it's good. Oh, there we go. I was waiting for that. <laughs> oh my God, fine. <laughs> I just, but you know, I don't see the sugar jazz link, honestly. I mean, like I understand what you're saying about influenced by it, but like they're not improvising. They're like, that shit is written out. Right there, that's a huge. Right there is a huge difference from jazz. I actually think the solos might be improvised to a degree. Might be, and that's what jazz is too. They have their chord structures. Yeah, but he plays the solos the same way when he plays them live. It's not like a. At least as far as I know, is he changing it every time? I believe some parts are changed. Yeah. Okay, so it's not hundred percent. So somewhere in the middle. So it's like some. Like the key themes are the same and then... Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I think I remember when Per was playing with them, there was a bunch of times that he did improvisational solos over certain sections. Got it. As okay. well. You don't have to sell me on this point. I would agree that Meshuggah is better than jazz. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the same page. Yeah, fuck yeah. Thank you. Go, just go to what I was saying. Of course. <laughs> if I went to a jazz show, I'd want to leave. No matter how <laughs> impressive it was, when I've had the unfortunate luck of ending up at a restaurant and there's a fucking jazz band or something like that, or going to see a jazz guitarist because they're my friend, I want to leave immediately. Like, 
I cannot tell you how quickly I want to leave. The only genre where I think I want to leave faster is if I'm at a country show <laughs> or, or maybe a ska show. But like, but ugh, get me out of there. Yeah, it, it, it is a it is kind of kind of a, a weird pitch. Like, hey, do you want to go enjoy a cocktail? But do you want to have anxiety while we sip our cocktails and try to relax? <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. I guess, you know, I'm very vocal about this because I feel like, you know, if people legitimately love jazz. That's cool. And or legitimately like it. Cool. But there's almost like this pressure in the technical metal realm to like pretend like you like it or something I've noticed. And I'm just here to say it's OK to hate it. I Well, you know what? That makes me feel glad that I... uh Added in that disclaimer early on when we started talking about jazz that I that I don't like jazz. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm glad I, I'm glad I slid that in because uh, I certainly am not claiming to enjoy it. It just it just I don't know. You know, it, it's just like the, to to be like playing guitar at the level that we are, and then to see someone else do it and like not understand it. I was I was just like really pleased by that. <laughs> <laughs> it is impressive. Yeah, I I've not been back to a jazz club since. <laughs> One and done. Walked in and got one old fashioned, <laughs> uh, had my mind blown for, you know, a good 15 minutes and I left. <laughs> and that's my jazz experience. So you were saying in the pre-interview that big moment for you was tracking EP with Josh and Joseph Gilbert and McQueen, um, where Joseph kind of took you aside and said that he thought that you had the skill to actually make shit happen and that you, you needed to focus and take it. Seriously, I can relate to that because early on, like I had some people that knew what they were talking about, take me aside and like, tell me to fucking be serious about this because I should have a chance to do something. So just curious, like with that information, like getting that intervention or whatever the fuck you want to call it, how did that, like, did, was that, did you change your life at that point or was it just evidence you were already moving in that direction this was just like positive uh like evidence that you're doing the right thing like how did it how did that affect you yeah um i, I feel like i'm probably mostly guessing because you know just so far back i'm trying to like you know it's kind of hard to remember what i was feeling but I, if i if i had to guess i would imagine that if um i had not had that conversation of uh joseph telling me like hey like if you want to do music, you got to go for it. You know, you can't have this one foot in the door, one foot out the door. Like maybe I'll do online classes and it's like, you know, and maybe he's changed his mind about like, this may not even be his perspective now. This was over 10 years ago, but, but yeah, that conversation was enough for me to like fully commit. Well, what happened for what you can remember? I think if we hadn't had that conversation... Were you recording with him in Alabama? We we're all in Alabama at the time. So like... That's right. Okay. They hadn't moved yet. This is all making sense to me now. Yeah, this was two years before they moved. I had, It was the summer I graduated high school. To answer your question, like, I think if he hadn't told me that, I probably would have just, I think it still would have worked out the same way. Like, I probably still would be doing this. It just, I would have found like a different means to just be encouraged to be like, okay, cool. That's what I needed to hear. Because it was obviously what I wanted. And I don't think he would say that to me or anyone would say that to anyone unless they got the impression that it's kind of what that person wanted anyways. Like it felt like a, a, a nudge more than anything. So I don't think he redirected our course. I think he just encouraged us uh, at a time when no one else could. Cause you know, uh, like my, my, my parents were supportive of the band thing, but 
they didn't understand it. They were worried as parents, parents are, that doesn't mean they weren't encouraging. <laughs> they were just like, you know, I don't want you to, I don't want you to like, you know, fucking be disappointed by your life and like not have money. So maybe go to college and do the band thing. So yeah. So, so, you know, you have a lot of people that are worried about you and not a lot of people that are just like, fucking go for it, dude. Cause it's Alabama. They have no frame of reference for what it looks like to have a career in the entertainment industry. Like there's no one in Alabama with, with the, with that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you guys had Forrest Gump. It's all good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And no other examples. Oh yeah. I was about to say, (laughs) how about someone in real life? um, (laughs) Got the space. We've got one right here. Yeah. There you go. See? (laughs) So (laughs) what did they say though? Like what was the conversation from what you can remember? We were recording an EP called Andromeda. It was before we signed to a label and uh, did a record. It was just like a very candid conversation while we were tracking. And he was just like, dude, this stuff's really good. And I was like, oh, thanks. And he was like, no, this is like, this is like really sick. Like you, like you guys should like really go for it. Like I promise you something will come of this if you guys just, just commit to it. But you just like got to commit. Like, like don't, I mean, he, he absolutely said like, probably not verbatim, like don't be one foot in the door and one foot out. But that was, that was the sentiment that I remember him giving me is just like, don't half-ass it. Like you got to really go for it because it's going to be hard. And, and what's, and what's so like amazing about that at that time is that like, you know, Joseph was still up and coming. Like, we were both still living in Alabama and, um, you know, he was still figuring out, making it work. He just, he's always just had like, just this, uh, absolute determination to do exactly what he wants to do in life. No questions asked. So, so it didn't matter. You know, he's doing really well now. He lives out in LA. He's like worked with a lot of great bands and he's cruising. But like, it didn't matter if he was at this point that he's at now or at that point, just in a fucking random rental space, like out in rural. It was Arlo, Alabama, dude, just like in the middle of nowhere is where he was. But he still had the same attitude of just like, I don't give a shit. Like, this is, this is all I do. I'm a fucking recording engineer. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, it's a, so being around that in Alabama was rare. And whenever I just like caught a glimpse of that attitude, I was like, holy shit, that's my attitude too. Which, yeah, I mean, I think most people that start bands, like I think you have to, well, no, you, know, no, you don't have to have this, but a lot of guys do where it's like your ambition just is freaking at peak intensity around like 1920, fresh out of high school. And you're just like, I don't know, like I had that this like crazy, almost like naive chase. Like I'm going to beef. I'm going to fucking do it, baby. Like, like, (laughs) man, I felt, I felt like finding people who had that was really tough. Like I had it, but it took me forever to find people who were equally as nuts about that. I think that it is required. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, you can probably name a few people who have gotten through the gate without being that way because like just luck happened or something but i mean for by and large if you don't have that kind of voice in your head that it's going to drive you like that you're not going to stick it out you just won't it's too difficult and it takes too long and uh it's too competitive and there's just too much sacrifice involved like if you don't feel that way yeah it's just it's not designed for people that don't feel that way I think. Yeah. And then you have to nurture it forever. Yeah. You know, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm 30 now. It's still easy. Like I, like I still feel very much at peace with what I'm doing and where I'm at and I'm happy doing it. Like, I, you know, like there, there's man. Yeah. As, as hard as it is to be in a band, like as, as many crazy growing pains as there are involved with it, it's just like, I'm happy to, to say that I've never had a moment where I've considered quitting. Not even a 
flicker of a moment, which I'm truly grateful for because I, I watch other people struggle with it. That's amazing, actually. Yeah. And I think that even, you know, you said you've never thought about it. And I know other people that have and obviously continue on. I think that sometimes you do get those waves where you're just like, you know what, this is so fucking long. I can't be bothered. But you just sometimes in those situations, you just need to sit down and, and, and have an internal talk with yourself and be like, no, this is actually what I wanted to do. This is what I signed up for. I still enjoy it. And I just need to fix this part of it in order for it to make it better. Certainly. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I, if I ever did have like, you know, things could change. Like I might have a moment where I'm like, I think I'm, I think I'm done here. And I, I'm not afraid of feeling that. I would, I would love to know what the hell plan B is. Cause at this point in my life, <laughs> I have no idea what plan B is. <laughs> yeah. If I ever felt that I would, I'd be comfortable with it. And when, and when other people do, like I support that. Like if, like if it's not, if it's not working for you anymore, that's fine. Like, um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, I like doing this. I, I, I mean, the, the, I think the biggest deterrent or the, the most dangerous thing that just like, if anything that gives me insecurity about doing this, and I'm sure it gives most band guys insecurities about continuing, is just like the comparison thing, you know, like, and it's just such a, it's just such a trap. It's like, like, we're, like we're not going to be the biggest band. So I need to like not feel discouraged from comparing myself to the biggest band like Parkway Drive. Like if I like if my gauge of our band's success or like my happiness is how it compares with Parkway Drive, (laughs) like like that's just such a a toxic way to think about your life. It really is. And, you know, we see this every day with just social media, you know, just people comparing themselves to others. And it's really hard to escape that mindset. But the moment that you start doing that is when you start becoming miserable. And I think that that's why most of the time when people post on social media, it's always about things that they're doing, the positive side, so that they can feel part of like they're doing something. And I think that comparing yourself to other bands is just a waste of time because I feel like most of the time it's down to luck, honestly. Yeah. Whether a band gets huge or not. I think it is right place, right time, and a certain element of luck. Yeah, and I I think it keeps you pretty grounded to apply that concept to yourself as well, to just remember that you're lucky if it's working out. (laughs) Um, Exactly, if you're paying your bills. It's super understandable, though, and natural to uh, compare yourself. It's hard not to. It's so hard. I think that one good thing to do is... When you find yourself doing that is try to shift it to comparing yourself against yourself. Like just try to, if you're going to be comparing, like it's hard to stop that mechanism. So redirecting it can be like a good tool. Like instead of comparing to Metallica or something, um, just where were you a year ago? Where were you five years ago? Still like it's so natural to compare yourself against other people. How do you not do that? It's just important to try to keep it under control. Yeah. What you just said is is, is the key. I, I've also discovered that information in the last uh, two years or so. It's like the only thing you should compare yourself to is who you were yesterday. Like, I, I think that's a good, a good sentiment to kind of carry you along and kind of break that cycle. Easier said than done. Certainly. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, where does guitar as like playing practice, just technical just that whole element of life where like, what kind of role does that play for you now? Is it something where you put in like X amount of time every day with practicing or do you practice just for like getting ready for an album or a tour? Like how, like is like, do you have a regimen or? Yeah. I've seemed to have had this habit for the last 10 years to where like, if I develop 
like a ritual. That ritual usually lasts an average of like three months and then I develop a new ritual. Like there may be a solid month that I like, you know, I, I make coffee at home every day. I make, you know, my little Japanese pourovers. <laughs> and then there may be a month to where like I wake up in the morning and the first thing I have to do is just repel myself as far from my house as possible. I was just like, I gotta, I gotta get the fuck out of here. I need to be moving. So then I just go and buy coffee at a coffee shop every day. Like um, with like guitar, I, I, it's kind of the same. Like I like when I'm at my best, yes, I'm trying to pick up the guitar every day, at least, at least for like 30 minutes and just see if something clicks. Cause if something clicks within 30 minutes, I'm going to be playing guitar for the next six hours. But if nothing clicks, just like being able to comfortably just accept that maybe I should just relax today and try again tomorrow and put the guitar down. So it is something that I do think about as something that I need to be doing to get better and like maintain my ability <laughs> to play guitar. Um, but, but at the same time, like I, I don't approach it like, uh, like work because I think I think it would all fall apart if I did that because I'm not I'm not a not like I'm not lazy but like you know I'm a freaking musician I definitely like to relax and uh, do nothing <laughs> <laughs> so like so if, if guitar wasn't fun I wouldn't do it if it was like just a job or a means to an end I would not be able to have the patience for it I would just like be super ADD about it so yeah I mean um yeah that is kind of the answer. So you do whatever you need to do to keep it fun, basically. Yeah. And, and, and if it doesn't sound like fun that given day, like if I wake up and I'm like, the last thing I want to do is play guitar. I want to play Elden Ring instead. <laughs> um, like I, I feel like I have the least amount of cognitive dissonance in my brain. It's probably better if I, if I just play Elden Ring. But with that said, I feel really bad because uh, I, I just feel bad when I'm fucking off. But I also try to constantly remind myself that I, need to fuck off more <laughs> like yeah i actually think those breaks away from the guitar give us different perspectives sometimes as well yes uh, especially from a songwriting point of view like i'm going to be straight up now i have not picked up my guitar properly since three weeks ago i want to say yeah mainly because i'm very very busy with other things but I'm not stressed about it because I know that when I do return to it and after a couple of days, that it will almost feel brand new again. So exactly, you playing, yeah, you playing Elden Ring, you keep doing that, man. And when you do return to it, it will be fun again. And I think that, you know, obviously having a routine where you practice every single day, especially before a tour, it's definitely going to make you better for that tour. But sometimes a couple of days away, sometimes even a couple of weeks away is definitely good for just seeing the guitar in a different way. And I definitely do exactly what you're doing minus playing Elden Ring because I don't have a PS5. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think you answered that great about practice, making it fun, keeping it fun. As I said, I, I just turned 30 recently and um, it's like my, life, life, life is, is, is better. I mean, like um, as I've gotten older, things have gotten easier as I've just been paying attention to this stuff. I've noticed it seems to me like the best fix for most of my problems is to just stop taking things so seriously, uh, which I mean, I, I don't, you know, like I'm not like a, I guess a better way to put it is just like to just stop worrying so much. It seems like the more that I relax, the more productive I am. And like everything benefits from that in my life when I'm just relaxing and not thinking like my whole life is ruined because I got to go get this crown 
put in my mouth. You know what I mean? Like, like I go to the dentist and like I get a little bit of bad news and then I just kind of like crumple it for like two weeks and it's just not a big deal. <laughs> and we, we talked about the comparison thing and like, yep. God, this is so neurotic. I shouldn't even say this, but like <laughs> I've had like gum recession I found out recently and then I'm just like looking at photos of celebrities just like, okay, who's famous and has gum recession? It'll make me feel better about myself. Like, <laughs> like, like, like whose photo can I look at to make myself feel better about this thing that I'm experiencing that's just a natural part of getting older that I should just like be okay with. Yeah. When I allow those kind of things to like color my well-being, like everything around me suffers. And the way this is relevant is like the Elden Ring versus guitar thing. It's like, I feel like I'm supposed to give myself a hard time when I'm not playing guitar. Like if I'm not doing something productive every day, there's a part of my brain that just says, yeah, you're supposed to feel bad for this. And uh, I'm trying to redirect that and just kind of like give myself a little bit of grace. Um, but it's, it, it's, 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 it's tough. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that one. Yeah, let, let me know if that works. <laughs> it's tough because people tell you, you know, like, you, you know, it's about balance. It's about the balance of the two. And I know that, and we all know that here and we all do our best. Yep. I know that we do, but it's like different people have a different gauge of what that balance is. Like how much of that balance goes towards relaxation versus like working. And when you talk about the internet and in comparison, you know, like sometimes Instagram just decides to put stuff in my explore page about like entrepreneurship, which I don't give a fuck about like self-help entrepreneur culture stuff. Like I, I'm not against it. It just like, I don't know. It makes me feel bad. <laughs> like, but you know, the, but when you see these things online and it's just like, people are like, I'm the best version of myself I've ever been because of quarantine. And I like lost all this weight and I got in shape and I'm just like, fuck, that wasn't my experience at all. Like, am I, what am I doing wrong? So I don't know when that stuff is like super active. I, I, I do feel really tough on myself for not like playing guitar fucking eight hours a day every day and stuff because I look at this guy on the internet who's just had the best time in quarantine. I'm just like, I feel like the worst version of myself. I mean, like, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like quarantine was 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 tough. Like I, I had to like kind of like recontextualize my whole identity and my whole idea of what identity is and just realizing like it, it can't be that guy in that band playing guitar anymore because I don't have that anymore. So I got to like find something deeper and just be a person and relax and get through the fucking day because I can't cling to this this thing attached to my name to feel comfortable anymore. <laughs> that actually sounds like a really good thing. Yeah. And it is. And I think like we all have the same story, right? Like this isn't unique what I'm saying. I'm sure you guys have kind of felt something similar. Um, I hope. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's weird. Yeah, totally. My girlfriend's like, when are you going to take a weekend off? And that often is me scrambling for a few hours after like going to get a coffee or something like that. And in my mind, for this little voice that comes up probably around here saying, why are you, are you, why are you not working? Um, there's loads of work to get on with. Why aren't you working? And it stops me from being able to enjoy those moments with my girlfriend and, and I don't know how to switch it off but whenever I go off to do something that isn't sort of either doing something guitar related writing some music doing some stuff for Riff Hard or any other of the thousand things that comes in I have this overwhelming sense of guilt and I haven't managed to find a way to overcome it and I think that's very similar to you know when you wake up in the morning and you decide whether you're going to play guitar or play Elden Ring um, and yeah if you have any ideas what I'm saying is please tell me them. <laughs> and I'm sure AL probably feels the same way. I think you just need to make the decision to chill. So I used to have that problem too of hanging out with a girlfriend, not being able to enjoy it or any of that. I've learned how to do it and 
like I've learned how to not be half somewhere else when I'm doing stuff. Great way to put it. It's just a decision. You have to just decide. And then when you notice yourself starting to like, you, you notice that voice, kind of like you were talking about in the vocal recording session, when you notice that voice, just do whatever you got to do to get it to shut the fuck up. But like, yes, just got to make a decision that you're going to hang out with her and actually hang out with her. <laughs> the end. Just decide that that's what you're going to do. God, this is, this is so good. This is so relevant because I, 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 part of why I wanted to talk about it, I think, is because it is j- just yesterday at our show, we had a lot of friends out and I had a moment to where I was, uh, we were going on stage in about an hour. So I was like making sure my guitars were in tune and stuff. And I had a moment just standing there, standing there at my guitar boat, realizing I was about to go and see a lot of my friends. And I, and I was just, I talked to myself in my head and I was just like, just relax smile. Your friends are here. Be glad that you have friends and your friends are here. Don't worry about the guitar boat. <laughs> like just go <laughs> smile and hang out and fucking be a person and make that choice. Just keep that at the forefront. Yeah. It, it's so, and, and I'm, and I'm, if, that, if that's what I got to do to get there, if it comes down to me having a conversation with myself to be able to relax and be happy, like I'm content to do that. Like I spent too much time envying people who didn't have to, but I'm, I'm kind of over that. It's like, look, this is this is just what I got to do. I just have to have yeah. these conversations and like, that's that's okay. It's totally okay. <laughs> and the thing is too, after a while, it gets easier. Like if you do make that decision to try to be present in the moment that you're with people and, uh, you know, you have to have a conversation with yourself to get yourself there. But you do that enough times and you it eventually just becomes part of your skill set to just chill the fuck out. So... Like that's, I mean, I was terrible, terrible about this and I've successfully conquered it. And it was literally by just doing that. I I definitely do have times where I'm doing one thing and I don't want to be there, but that's not this scenario. Those are legit. Like when I feel like I'm having my time wasted or like, I know something is there's a deadline and I'm here like at a movie or something like you know, that's a little bit different, but like if I'm with my girlfriend or with the family or like with whatever, um, I just, I make the decision that I'm there. And, uh, you know, if there's an emergency, people will figure out how to reach me (laughs) and, uh, and I should be there because what am I going to do when I'm not there anymore? I'm going to come back and fucking work. So, yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Once I realized that it makes the work better, that was a big one. Your work suffers if you don't disconnect from it. Like I noticed that A, it made my relationships better. B, it made my work better. C, it made my mental health better. So it's like worth having those conversations with yourself. I've just had one in my brain while you said that and I'm going to relax after we do this podcast. (laughs) And I'm going to drive to Anaheim (laughs) and play a show. (laughs) I'm not going to relax, but... I do think, though, what we're talking about, like if someone does need for their personality type to have a super structured practice routine, like they're trying to be a virtuoso or something, what you want out of life requires a certain amount of dedication, whatever it is. So if someone is trying to be like the next Jason Richardson or something, you might have to play a little less Elden Ring. It just is what it is. Like you probably will have to do the regimented thing every single day. I bet he's played Elden Ring. <laughs> he has, but I'm sure the amount of hours that he's logged on the instrument is insane. I know he's played video games, but like my my point being is that 
your effort needs to match your ambitions. Otherwise, you're just lying to yourself. So, you know, whatever level of not working that's healthy, that's cool. But personally, I just don't think you should get into the point of self-deception where it's like just time wasting. Absolutely. And then being like, this is fine, man. This is good. It's balance. It's like, no, you're just wasting time. Yeah. There's like, so it's like, there's a fine line. Um, and, but I feel like if things are moving forward, like you can compare yourself against you a year ago, like you can compare where your life is at. And if it's going in the right direction, what's the problem? True. Yeah. And it, and it, and it is, you know, well then good. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. <laughs> I bring up Elden Ring, but like, I'm not like a, I certainly don't have a video game addiction. I'm pretty casual. I just fucking love those Dark Souls games. They're so good. <laughs> and, and the irony is that they're the most, like one of the most time consuming ones. Um, I think that I actually do have a pretty balanced life. Like it's, it's kind of more of just like reminding myself of that. Like I definitely don't fuck off and waste time and I have logged a lot of time with my instrument and I'm very good at my instrument. But, um, the thing that I have to do is, I don't know, just, I like, I'm, 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 I'm learning to take the victories better. Good. Cause the thing is the, the thing that I do that, that is kind of a bummer is like when I'm in the, in the midst of like a good moment what you would call a victory. Once the moment has passed, I move on. And I'm like, what's next? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of cursed with that what's next mentality. Like, oh, that was cool. Uh, that show was, that was one of the greatest feelings ever. But that was one of the best shows we've ever played. It's over. What next? Don't fucking linger on it. Like, like I have that like attitude where I'm just like, go to the next thing to, to keep myself productive. And I think in a lot of ways it does, it does work. But it's also comparing yourself to others, I think. That's what that is a byproduct of. Ah, interesting. It's a double-edged sword. I feel like that's kind of kind of necessary. Like if you don't have that what's next feeling, because I heard Elon Musk talking about that feeling. Several people that I know of who and also know that have done great things have that feeling. And I just feel like that's part of the deal, man. If you're going to do cool things, they don't happen by accident. They happen because something in you drives you to do that. And that thing that drives you to do the cool things is by its design and nature, not satisfied. Right. Yeah. And I like all of this, like all these things that I'm describing, like I'm certainly not complaining about them. Like I know it's part of the deal and I like that it's part of the deal and I'm up for the challenge and I think I can handle it. Like like I've never felt like I wasn't going to make it out the other side. I've never had depression or like thought about, you know, this isn't worth it to figure out these things in life to be happy. It's always worth it. I don't know. I just feel, I guess I feel most comfortable in this space, like talking about it and kind of airing it out. And like, this is kind of how I get over it. It's just like airing out sort of all the internal stuff. So I appreciate this conversation. I'll send you an invoice later. Uh, For therapy? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, I think everyone should figure this shit out and have conversations about it because it's very unhealthy not to. I think probably the most important thing someone can develop is self-awareness and you only really develop it by thinking and talking about what's going on in your head and what you're noticing and comparing it against the thoughts of other people. So, and I think it's super important. Otherwise kind of just can go into robot mode. I think it's very easy to do that. A lot of people end up just in like this, almost like this robotic routine sort of mode where their life might be moving forward, but not exactly in the way they want it to be, or it's getting off track, but they're not really questioning things. So, you know, they don't notice until it's way too late or like 
not way too late, but like it's going to really suck to correct. So I think it's, it's really important to do that stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good place to end the episode, man. I want to uh, thank you very much for taking the time to hang out with us. And I hope that you have a great show in Anaheim. Thanks. Yeah, it was, this was, uh, this was fun. Do you ever wonder if you're a control freak? I don't have to wonder it. <laughs> Cause to a degree, yeah, it's something that I've had to work on throughout the years as well. Yeah, I might be, but I also don't think I am. But it's it's weird. It's hard to explain because like... There's a fine line between caring yeah. overly and being a control freak. And sometimes that line is completely blurred. Man, I'm happy if someone else can do the job, though. I really am. Like, I always have been. If someone's really great at something, I would prefer it if I can get out of the way, like... Back in the day, I would hire people to mix Doth, even though I could mix it just so that I didn't have to. Yeah. Because I thought it would be better. I was probably overbearing with mix notes. <laughs> a, little control, a little control freakish there. But still, like, I've always wanted other people who are better than me at something to get involved. But then the problem is that a lot of people are full of shit. Yeah. And, um, and are super flaky or not as good as they, you know, as they represent or et cetera. There's a fine line between letting people shine and, you know, letting people do their, their thing versus not paying attention and then letting things get way off track just because you don't want to seem like a control freak. So it's weird because it, it like goes both ways. Like being a control freak's bad, but at the same time, you don't want to overcorrect and just let garbage happen or exactly things get derailed because someone's fucking around. It's and it's tough to like find the fine line. Exactly. And I think that part of Jesse's reason, probably why he is a control freak, he actually said it early in the uh in the podcast, was that he was in a he grew up in a place that was rural and there wasn't really any like-minded people where he was. And I, I can imagine that that was the same for you know, people understanding exactly what he wanted. And I think that that probably played into why he just got on with everything himself always. So it, it's difficult. So I think maybe it was situational <laughs> control freak. And I think that as time's gone on, you find yourself in these better situations with people that have the similar mindset to you. And once you find those people, it almost eases off because that pressure that you've put on your own shoulders, and you know exactly what I'm talking about here, right? when you're getting up to a record, no one's pulling their weight, but then all of a sudden, a couple of records in, you find that you can release some of that pressure to other people. Yep. And then it doesn't feel as control freaky anymore. And normally notes are much less, or even, you know, you're not in the room as much because you know that these people can do their job well and better than you ever would be able to yeah that's a good feeling too it is it's a really good feeling and it, you know just the record that comes out in a few days it might even be out by the time this podcast comes out i didn't even write any mix notes because i was like this guy's got it it's all good <laughs> yeah well, i mean george lever's the shit yeah he really is so yeah i think uh situational control freakish and it's just about over caring yeah i i think that if people haven't worked with other people yeah. Or have only had really bad experiences with other people. It's going to exacerbate their control freak tendencies. And uh, let's be real, until you are 
a little further along in your career or just fucking lucky. Yeah, fucking lucky. Have, yeah. You know, <laughs> fucking lucky to have just found great people to be around. Then let's be real. You're probably going to have bad experiences with musicians. That's actually part of what's so cool about the Riff Hard community is uh, one thing I've noticed is that there's a bunch of collaborations going on within our group where people are just finding other people to work with, uh, write songs with, write riffs with, and they're posting videos of these riffs. And some of them are actually really fucking badass. Yeah. And these are people that don't live near each other. They're, you know, spread out all over the world. And it's, uh, it's really cool that they're finding these partners to work with because who knows what's around them. And if they didn't have that, who would they be working with? And yep. having these positive experiences is getting them ready for what it's like to collaborate with people in the, uh, the real world. Yeah. And not only that, it's also when they when they post these collaborations, they're getting real world, world feedback from people that are on both sides of the spectrum, people that might be better at the instrument than them or further along in their career. And they're getting that real insight, which maybe, you know, back 20 years ago before we had anything like this, it was all reliant on who we knew at the time within our community where we lived. So it's real world feedback all over the world. And you get to see these amazing collaborations from people all over the world as well. Yeah, I, I think it's cool. I know that the way I'm looking at them, I'm, yeah, I'm of course judging the guitar playing. I'm judging the recording quality. I'm like judging whether or not I like it. Yep. Or not. So I'm listening as a listener and also as, a, you know, with a critical ear, I'm constantly impressed. But the thing is, that's cool about it is as opposed to a video of them playing exercises, which is also helpful. Yeah. This is hearing people in a real musical context. So the feedback that you can give them in some ways is more impactful because it's affecting something that they have a very personal relationship with as opposed to a scale exercise where you know, okay, maybe their economy of motion is bad and uh, they can, you know, they might be able to pick their speed up a little if they stop tensing up so much or who knows, whatever. Yep. Like they think they're alternate picking, but they're really not or something. And you can point that out in the videos and cool, they'll fix it. But when you're talking about shit that someone actually wrote yep. and recorded and cares about, and uh, you notice that they go into like some counterpoint part or harmony part, and it starts to sound like chaos or something, but the part is actually kind of cool, uh, you know, then you can zero in on feedback, like telling them what to work on, like how the technical exercises could help parts like that. Or if they're bending shit out of tune, you know, it's one thing if they're doing a scale exercise for bending in tune is another thing. If it's in their actual song, there's, there's like a different level of gravity to it. I think. Yeah, there is definitely. But not only that, they can also amend on that before they release it to the full outside world as well. Yep. Which is uh, yeah. a good thing. It's an extra set of ears, which then helps with that control freakness. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, one of our mods sent me a collab that he did with somebody several months ago. Yep. It was when the collabs were first starting. It was interesting. It was a bad experience for him because the other person was just taking forever, being flaky, and then sent back guitars that were completely the fuck out of tune. Okay. And out of time. And he sent it to me asking what I thought. He didn't say, hey, the guitars are out of tune and out of time, what, what do I do? He just sent me the collab and I was like, oof, I bet he's excited about this 
what do I tell him? And I was just like, Hey, you may want to redo this or at least the one, I can't tell who played what, but one of these guitars is fucked up and I wouldn't really, I wouldn't put this up. Like <laughs> don't, don't put this up. Yeah. It was a cool moment because he got that feedback that, that basically told him it's okay to not put something out if it's not good enough. Yeah. Whereas until, until you've like kind of gotten that sort of feedback from somebody, sometimes you might not know or understand if you do something that's not quite good enough or not up to par, you might think it's fine. It's okay. Exactly. Let's just roll. You know, something's wrong with it, but you roll with it anyways. Yeah. I mean, a lot of bands do this for their first couple of releases. You know, that's what they work out. <laughs> it's weird though, because on the one hand, being a control freak is not a good thing. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean that you should just, you know, the guitars are out of tune, like in a bad way. Yeah. It doesn't mean just leave them. No, it doesn't. And also, I think it comes back to what we talked about with understanding each person or each human and working out how to approach the situation. I think that the control freak nature comes out when you don't know how to actually say what you feel correctly to each individual person because everyone yep. will receive that feedback differently you know some people are like you know you can literally straight up tell them that's fucking shit to do it again but there's other people that you need to maybe do it in a better way maybe even a reverse psychology way saying do you believe that this is a, a good example of your skill level or is this the best that you think you can do in this moment? Or do you really think you should even play guitar? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, mate. That's the no, control freak in you coming out right now, isn't <laughs> oh, it? That's, that's the comedian in me. <laughs> there you go, kidding. yeah. <laughs> but no, you, yeah, you, you get what I'm saying anyway. It's just sometimes, yeah, again, totally. situational. Again, so I think that, yeah. I think that caring about something is a good thing. Just remember to do it in the right way. Well, yeah. Yeah. Caring about thing is crucial. I judge people pretty harshly when they don't care. Yeah. But if they do care, then yeah, it's it's just about helping them guide them what they're doing wrong. We all make mistakes. It's about learning from them. Totally. Don't make a mistake. Sign up for Riff Hard. Exactly. We have a mistake not to. RiffHard.com. Yeah. See you next week. See you next week, mate. Thanks for listening to the Riff Hard Podcast. We'll see you next week.